This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. All right, and here we go. Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. Today is Thursday, September 21st. We are back here in the studio, back here to talk a little Tennessee football leading into week four of the college football season. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert. Joined right across the table, that is Jack Foster. Good uh, good morning, gentlemen. How are y'all doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, Thursday, as we get closer and closer to UTSA, the UTSA game, and uh, excited to see how Duvall's uh, respond from a, a pretty bad performance last week. Yeah, yep. there's been plenty of question marks on the table. Jack, how you doing today? Yeah, same here, man. Just another week, and back in Neyland this weekend. Let's see how the Vols respond, just like Ryan said. Yeah, not only does Tennessee get to return home, and <laughs> certainly that's a that's a far cry from playing on the road. You get to come back where you're comfortable, come back in front of the home fans. But for us, makes our weekend a little bit easier as well. It's certainly easier to uh, to have a home game here, to be able to sleep in your own place. Four o'clock p.m. this Saturday afternoon, so it'll be a little bit of an evening game. It'll it'll round up. Uh, or excuse me, it'll wind up in the dark by the time the game is over. But again, that's coming up four o'clock p.m. on Saturday. Yeah, two uh, two traditional or non traditional start times really because you know you typically yes think of the noon three thirty seven p.m. slot and, and obviously there's late night games and there are those early evening games that just less of them to get sprinkled in and uh, Tennessee's first two home games uh, at four or five o'clock uh, I guess against Austin P. I was going to say U T Martin it wasn't U T Martin it was Austin P. Speaking of Austin P. Sure. Anybody see their score last weekend? They beat the crap out of ETSU, didn't they? Yeah, 63, no kidding. To, 63 to 6. Wow. <laughs> Hate it for my guy George Quarles, but wow. I'm not sure he's he's too too long for that job. I, I did feel like, and, and maybe it was just watching that first or second drive, but you were like, they do some some wacky stuff on offense that could really trip up some. I mean, heck, it was tripping up Tennessee a little bit there in the first quarter. Yeah. So I was like, they could, they might be able to really sneak around some teams and really kind of confuse them. And obviously it seemed like they already have. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Washington play, it was like, I don't know how much of this is what they normally do right. as opposed to how much of this is just <laughs> you're facing an SEC team and you got to get a little... Cute, I guess, for a lack of a better word on offense. But, yeah, certainly they've responded well after a, a tough first game against, I think, of Southern Illinois, whoever it was. They played week one and, and lost pretty handedly. Yeah, they were down like 42-3 to three after three, right? Yeah, some, in the fourth. Some, something like that. As far as the start times go, I like four a lot better than seven. Remember the Akron kick last year? It was yeah. absurdly late. But uh-huh. these games should still be at noon. That's my take. Yeah, I mean, noon is for, for us media. I know it's bad for all you listeners, fans out there, but for the media, noon's, noon's the best. Uh, so yeah, especially when yeah, it's, we would love a noon. When I, I, I love conference games at night, like the, yeah, like the prestige of that and just the theatrics the that go into it. But a non-conference game against G five or FCS opponents, like just make them at noon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the conference games, I'd still rather have at noon, but there is at least like See, a positivity to them being. I at actually night. wouldn't. I actually like you're the, just about you're just a better man than us. <laughs> you're just not I like a the vibes as us. of afternoon night. Yeah. The, yeah, the no, vibes the vi- are way better. The vibes are way better, which is why it's like okay, there's some real positive here. But no, I'd still, I'm, st- yeah, well, I'm still so selfish that I'd rather. Yeah, just we be see out for so. I feel like we see so few of the time. vibes that I'm like, well, just just put the game as early as possible because it, when I walk out of the stadium, ain't nobody else going to be there anyway. So, uh, but yeah, you guys are right. Four o'clock p.m. coming up this Saturday. I want to kind of go in the middle a little bit between last week's loss to Florida. 
this week's upcoming game against UTSA. We know what's on the line. We know that, A, this is a good opportunity for Tennessee to bounce back after a big loss last week. But on the other hand, this is a sneaky game that we've been talking about for a good long while. This is a game that Tennessee will need to put up points in. But let me kind of stick in the middle a little bit. Uh, Jack, you posted a video on on the Rocky Top Insider social media account just about a day or two ago, and it was, what are some of the biggest takeaways from that loss to Florida? What was the what was the name of it? Yeah, it was just like the most concerning signs, and yes. I kind of took a long-term approach because tackling is the shallow answer, right? Oh, Tennessee couldn't tackle, but tackling can be fixed. I, I focused on things that have shown up throughout the season and things that could continue to show up if they're not fixed, so. You know, we, we've heard and, and, of course, we've seen on the Rocky Top Insider comments, you've seen on social media, right? there. If you look on the internet, there's about a million different problems. You can pick and choose any one of those, but let's let's really scale that down a little bit. Let's play a little fact versus fiction here. Ryan, same kind of question to you just real quick. Coming out of that Florida game, what are the aspects that are still kind of lingering to you as something that is concerning going forward? Maybe not something in the immediate aftermath that you felt bad about and then you know, a few days later, you're like, okay, well, maybe maybe that's going to get settled down a little bit. But what are some of the more lingering, what's a concern for you as we sit just two days away from game day again? Well, I think in the macro-macro, it's still a lot of what we talked about after the game with Heupel's offense on the road and some of the defensive game planning decisions, uh, just how out of place Tennessee looked defensively. But kind of to go in, in the middle, because that is very, very broad, I think it's just the offensive inconsistency. Um, that starts with, I think, the the quarterback and the offensive line. I mean, those are the two biggest ones. Can Tennessee find some consistency among who's playing on the offensive line and the level they play at? And then can Joe Milton f- find some consistency? Because, again, we, we talked about it after the game, and I stand by it. it. It's not that Joe Milton's performance was Tennessee's biggest issue in that game, but I think when you – zoom out and look at the rest of the season, Joe Milton's limitations are a very serious concern for this offense. The fact that they don't have confidence in him to throw the ball in the intermediate, the fact that he has not been fantastic with the internal clock and being able to extend plays and make things happen uh, with its legs. And when you combine that with the fact that, just what else I was talking about, the offensive line hasn't been very good. That's a very worrisome combination, and that's why what did the numbers bear out? Like 35, 40%, I think, of Tennessee's passes so far this season have been screen passes or passes behind the line of scrimmage. That's why you're getting that. And again, even though Milton, I don't think, was just horrible besides the one interception against Florida, Tennessee is is right now very, very limited in what it feels like they can do effectively, consistently effectively uh, on offense because of some of Milton's shortcomings. So uh, that, uh, I think, is probably the bigger concern is Joey Halsley talked to the media this week and you know, st- stood by Joe Milton, and it seems like, at least for the time being, Tennessee's coaches are still firmly in, in the camp that this is Joe Milton's team and Joe Milton's their quarterback. Uh, I think that's kind of the concerns uh, I look at. Yeah, I was just about to say, uh, Joey Halsley, Tennessee's offense coordinator, asked this week, would would backup quarterback Nico Iamaliava, would, that, w- would him playing have addressed any of the offensive deficiencies? Joey Halsley said no. Why? Because it's an operation issue, and Joe is operating at a really high level right now. So, that's what Joey Halsley said to say about it. What did you make of that comment? Um, I know you just kind of touched on it, but what did you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't surprising. That, you know, he's just going to defend defend this quarterback, and I would agree that operationally, sure. that has been their big. That was their biggest issue in the Florida game is being behind the sticks in the first half when or the second quarter when everything just absolutely spiraled on them. So, you know, that's fair. 
either the question is probably how much of that operational stuff falls on Joe Milton and, and Halsley kind of implied that it's not a ton. You know, he mm-hmm. had a question asked about the tempo and, and getting lined yeah. up. And he's like, well, that's the thing in this offense. you got to get yourself lined up. It's not the quarterback's job, which I think is what it brings to more broad long-term questions about Heupel's offense and playing on the road than necessarily Milton. The one play that does stand out in the, that first drive of the third quarter, Tennessee had to take two timeouts, which is just brutal when you're trying to come back in the second half. The second right. one, Joe Milton's at the line, you know, checking checking the pass protection as the cl- play clock's about to hit zero. That's clearly on Joe Milton. I mean, that's a mistake uh, that you can't make. So, not overly surprising. And I, you know, I think obviously he's a lot smarter than me and a lot more in tune to what Tennessee's doing offensively. I do tend to agree. Uh, that most of those operational things probably aren't Milton's fault, but you know there was obviously one glaring example that was Milton's fault too. Wasn't the first time out on that drive, Joe took it when there was like 16 seconds left on the play clock? I, I can't remember. Say, Maybe and, and there was a, but they didn't know what they were doing. Like, yeah, there, there was, was so much confusion to where it wasn't going to get fixed, so he went ahead and took the timeout. But there was 16 seconds left on the play clock. I remember seeing that. I believe it was the first one of the second half. Yeah, it was. I know the play I'm talking about is the second one. And I know the first one, you are right, that it was just like Tennessee just looked completely disconjointed. Like they had no idea what was going on. I I don't remember how much time was on the play clock. And again, a lot of that was just due to the struggles of playing on the road, right? And and it looked like, man, they were completely affected and impacted by what was happening on the road. And you look at that, you look at the offense, right? Joe Milton, a lot of those pieces on the offense, good, talented players, but maybe not guys with a ton of experience in that kind of environment. You think about the new-look offensive line. You think about Cooper Mays not being there. You think about Gerald Mincy not being there, who, who was a big part of Tennessee's O-line, both at home and on the road last year. Think about a guy like Dante Thornton, so on and so forth. There were a lot of new pieces to that offense working on the road, and, and they just did not operate uh, efficiently. They just did not operate well, which kind of leads back to uh, the things that you guys were talking about right there. Yeah, and even though the offense moved the ball better in the second half, it's like some of that one Florida obviously was playing very, very conservative with their game plan. How much of that contributed to that? And then two, obviously the red zone, or it wasn't even necessarily a red zone. I think maybe they only got in the red zone in one of those drives, but once they got in scoring range, they've just frequently stalled out. And yeah. you know, that seems again when the field shrinks you have to be more precise in your passing game or you got to be really good running the ball and obviously it becomes harder running the ball uh, just because you get naturally more guys in the box as you get closer to the red zone. And that is right hand-in-hand with the question marks and Joe Milton's kind of deficiencies. And I think that's maybe, I don't know, there's a lot of variations you can say. Tennessee's offense looks the most different from last year to this year. But, I, I mean, that's up there because Ten- Joe, or Hinton Hooker was so good in, in passing the ball in the red zone and Tennessee's red zone offense was the best in the country last season. It is pretty wild. You talk about last season. You talk about this this last game from Florida, twenty six to seven at halftime. You go back to the Georgia game last year. It was twenty four to six at halftime. You flip mm-hmm. over to the second half. Tennessee wins the second half against Georgia, seven to three. Tennessee wins the second half against Florida, nine to three. Right. A lot of those games wow. were very kind of similar, and just yeah. the way it shook out, Tennessee got absolutely dominated in the first half. They were able to make some strides in the second half. But it might not have been the exact strides that you were looking for. It was kind of the other team saying, hey, look, we've got a big lead. We're going to play with that big lead. We're just going to try to get to the end of the game. It's kind of interesting how those two really did shake out. And both being on the road, both being in big-time environments, a couple similarities. Yeah, definitely. I think it might have been Jack who had the point. I think we mentioned that in the post-game, post-game podcast and – 
it did feel like Tennessee's offense was better in the second half against Florida than it was against Georgia. Like, even against Georgia, Tennessee got, you know, that seven points. They had one touchdown drive. It didn't feel like they moved the ball a ton besides that. But still, again, it's hard. Obviously, Georgia's defense is a lot better uh, than Florida's, and it's it's hard to tell how much of Tennessee's offense's success was because uh, Florida was playing a little more soft. But granted, I mean, Tennessee's best offense plays in the second half were deep passes, and I wonder if we see them try to, I don't know, force is the right word, but just uh, as the season develops, go to more and more of that passing down the field, just taking shots and, and kind of living with the risk of it. Yeah, and you talk about the opponent. I mean, Florida only completed four passes in the second half. Yeah. And they had five, Graham Mertz had five <laughs> incompletions, so it wasn't like they were wildly inefficient. You know, I don't know how many, how many incompletions he had in the second half compared to the first, but he only had five for the game, and they completed four passes in the second half. So they were just playing, you know, punch you in the mouth running the ball football in the second half. And Tennessee did a better job because Florida got pretty one-dimensional. It was easier to stop. But, you know, Tennessee's offense ultimately couldn't get the job done. So, Any other interesting notes from this week? Uh, I think talking to some of the players, talking to some of the coaches, some of the interesting kind of tidbits that stuck with me throughout the week. Number one, Josh Heupel came in on Monday morning. He said that, hey, there's still a little bit of disappointment in the building, still a little bit of hurt in the building. I, I found that fascinating just because – you, maybe it maybe it confirmed to me a, a suspicion of, yeah, that game is is hard to immediately shake off, right? You don't just look at it on Sunday; it kind of sticks with you a little bit. It, you're you're thinking about it in the building on Monday. Now, my question to me was, okay, well, what was going to happen after that, right? Was a flip going to switch and say, okay, we're going to take that, we're going to use it as fire now? Look, we we've gone through it, we understand it, we know what happened. We're going to use that as motivation going forward, or was this going to be something that continued to linger on a little bit in the week? That was one of the thing, the the things that stood out to me. But then some of the things that the coaches said, they talked about Dylan Sampson not getting runs. Right? Uh, obviously, I, I felt that was a that was a big component of Tennessee's offense that you did not see just with Dylan Sampson's really versatility out there on the field. Josh Heupel said the game, the flow of the game just did not go to where they wanted to, and he could not get him in on both sides of the ball. Dante Thornton, it sounds like they certainly do have still have belief, but even Joey Halsley kind of points to, hey, trouble, it, there's... Trouble picking up the offense. Yeah, yeah, he said, hey, there's a learning curve with this offense. He even pointed Jalen Hyatt, right, going from year one to year two and saying that, hey, it's not immediate for a lot of these guys. This is a, an offense that you kind of have to undergo a learning curve. So to me, there were a couple of interesting things just throughout the week. Anybody else, anything on the mind? No, I mean, I thought it was a lot of what you'd expect, you know, for the, the coaches and players to say after a loss, you know, type of things that, you know, it's good, but, you know, whatever, you'll find out more when when they hit the field and yeah, uh, how they actually respond. I did, you know, I thought the Dylan Sampson thing was, while not surprising, just interesting to, you know, now is the case, just kind of a classic, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And yeah. Tennessee, it just, I think, shows how Tennessee was never able to, to regain any semblance of normalcy or, or get back on the tracks after yeah. that disastrous second quarter. Uh, and then, you know, this is just the smallest of notes, but I, from his Monday press conference and then yesterday in SEC Coaches Teleconference, I do think Josh Heibel's been a little more talkative this week, um, which just kind of seems like a, try to keep the positivity. Yeah, try the to vibes high. Keep, yes. Try to keep the vibes high. Because, um, you know, Josh Heibel doesn't ever want to be super long-winded talking to the media. He's not a Lane Kiffin guy trying to make headlines. And that's all, you know, when you're winning, that doesn't matter. But, you know, when, when you're losing, you're trying to – he's very clearly trying to not be defensive defensive and be positive and kind of keep things uh, moving forward. It's funny you say that because I was actually at Calhoun's on the River last night and 
got to watch Volkskals for the first time ever. But Josh Heupel, when he came in, he was just all smiles, just big smile. And, you know, I don't know how he is normally, but I know how he is in press, press conferences. conferences and stuff. And he's usually a little more reserved. And the questions he was getting asked were pretty hardball questions from, you know, fans who aren't the happiest. Uh, one, question, uh, one question from a fan was, what do you have to say about the play calling at the end of the first half? I thought it could have been better. And Josh Heupel just took it, and he was like, yeah. And, and he it rolled off his shoulder, and he actually gave a pretty good answer to it. So, yes, I agree, Ryan. It's it's funny you make that observation because I had the same one, that Josh Heupel seems just really positive, and I think that's a great sign for yeah. what's going on in the locker room and what have you not. Yeah, I definitely think that's the, again, you don't read – it doesn't really, in the end of the day, really matter because right. what happens exactly. on the field matters, but that is kind of the disposition you'd want to see from the head coach. And, you know, the one that really got me was on the teleconference Wednesday. Uh, for those who don't know, this is all the SEC coaches talk for five to ten minutes. Uh, you call in, so, you know, you can get questions typically from people who aren't in Knoxville can ask coaches questions. And, you know, they'll get more, Hypo will get more broad questions or questions about the SEC as a whole. And typically he says, a sentence or two like you know I, I don't have time to we don't have time to worry about that we're focused on our team and the opponent we play and he got asked a question about parody in the SEC yesterday and it wasn't that his answer was like super profound or crazy he said anything crazy but it was he just gave like a an answer that the guy would be looking for like a paragraph answer of yeah, yeah there's some more it's kind of hard to tell because you know we you know we're playing so it's hard to watch tape of these guys um, and he said something, you know, you, you look at the box scores, but the box score can lie. And if we play a noon game, we'll get to watch a little bit. But it, some of it's just kind of hard to tell. And again, it wasn't like he said anything crazy, but it was just more than his usual. I don't have time to worry about the rest of the SEC, which is kind yeah, of which in, is what not in a rude expect. way necessarily, but that's typically how he answers those type of questions. Yeah, that is really interesting. I, I think you're right. I think obviously, you know, this is a place that this is a place that Josh Heupel has not been in here yet at his Tennessee tenure. Now, We'll go back to that first season. Don't get me wrong. There were losses that piled up, you know, certainly early on to the season. But that first season did not have the overall expectations that obviously this season has right now. So uh, this is new territory for not just Josh Heupel, the, the Tennessee fan base as well. Some of the Tennessee players who have been involved in this. Just new territory all around. But guys, let's kind of take that Florida game and put it into the rearview mirror. Talk about... What's coming up this Saturday? Again, Tennessee's got a great chance to bounce back here, returning to home, but this is also a, a talented team out of the American Athletic Conference. The UTSA Roadrunners, 1-2 and two on the season so far. I believe they picked up that win. No, excuse me, they lost to Army last week. Mm. Ryan, and I, Ryan and I were watching that from a Chili's in Valdosta, no Georgia, on the way to, uh, on the, way to uh, the Florida game. So we did watch that, 37-29. They beat Texas State, lost to Houston in the opener. Frank Harris Jr., this is their guy who, who's been around forever. Yep. The quarterback, very unbelievably talented, a, 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 a tremendous offensive player. But he has been a little bit down this season because of injury. He did not play last week against uh, Army. I can't remember. I can't recall if he maybe played before that. He what did, do you know yeah, about that? Army was games. the first. Okay, so Army was the first game that he missed. That's what I assumed. Day-to-day right now. I think that's the last thing we heard. What do you know more about that? Yeah, day-to-day, um, I think it is a foot injury. We uh, I talked to the San Antonio Express News. It's a long newspaper name. Uh, Greg Luca, uh, and he, for a story uh, we have on, on the site now, came out on Wednesday, um, and he said Coach Jeff Trailer has called him day-to-day, but he's had a p- pretty noticeable limp just roaming around the sidelines last week. Um, so he... 
again, uh, Jeff Trailer, UTSA's coach, isn't saying anything definitively, um, but the thought from uh, at least Greg Luca was that he doesn't expect Harris to play is UTSA has a bye week next week and then opens up uh, American Athletic Conference play the following week. So a lot of things point to UTSA just kind of playing to get Harris healthy for conference play. Um, but again, it's still day-to-day, and uh, we'll see if he's able to go. Yeah, we'll add that they're back up last week against Army. I know it's Army, but sure. had a pretty good day. Eddie yeah, Lee, uh, Marburger, 17-25 for 239-3, and three, no picks. So... You know they have a serviceable backup from what I've from what you see uh, from the Army game. So it's not like there it's going to be a walk at that position. They're just going to have to run the football. I think they'll still be able to you know do what they do. Yeah, yeah and they put up twenty nine points. Yeah, and Luca the, with the San Antonio Express News, you know, said Marburg has a little bit better arm strength too uh, than than Harris does, and that he kind of uh, at least last week and going into this week he expects them to if he does play Marburger does play expects them to take some more shots down the field and obviously that's an area Tennessee's defense if not susceptible to can just be shaky I mean we saw in the Virginia game particularly the Austin P game a number of pass interference calls uh on balls down the field so that'll be something to watch for and even Harris you know if he does play obviously he's been very good for UTSA in the past he's been a little shaky he was a little shaky the first two games of this year I think even in that Houston game like threw three picks he threw three picks I think two of his first like three or four passes were interceptions oh like terrible terrible start to the season so um even if he's back coming off injury uh, a guy that's not dependent on his legs to be effective but is a capable runner he's a playmaker he's a playmaker sure. that's probably the best way of describing it and obviously he could be a little limited uh, if that is the case and he does play so um Maybe not as big as a difference, kind of to Jack's point about the backup being good, uh, as big as a difference as you would have expected going into the season if you knew uh, or if you were told Harris wasn't going to play. So the starter is a playmaker who can use his legs but doesn't have as much arm strength as the backup who's less of a playmaker. Mind you. (laughs) (laughs) I see where you're going with this, Jack. I see where you're going with this. Some people are hitting the rewind button real quick to say, what did I miss? Wait, wait, wait. Let me go back and get that again. I see what you're getting at, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the flip up, flip on the age uh, a little bit, I guess. Uh, yeah, true. Six, true. six year, two six year seniors as the starters, but the skill set's a little, a little bit flipped between the two backups. Yeah, yeah. The two, I think Marburger's a sophomore or a redshirt freshman, but a young gotcha. guy, a young guy nonetheless. Okay, so this game coming up at four o'clock p.m. this Saturday in Neyland Stadium, Tennessee, a two, a three touchdown favorite, twenty one points over UTSA. Over under for the game sitting at fifty nine on the dot. Then, according to ESPN's analytics, Tennessee has an eighty six point three percent chance to win this game. Ryan, I'll ask you this: When you think about these two teams on the field, when you think about what Tennessee needs to do to win this game, we'll we'll talk about maybe what it means to win this game a little bit later on. Yeah. When you talk about what they need to do to win this game on the field. What are some of the things that you're looking at? Just taking what you know from last weekend, taking what you know from the weekends before that, putting it all together. What do you need to see from Tennessee on the field right now to maybe either give you a little bit of confidence, but maybe also regain a little bit of confidence that you might have lost here from something that happened last week or really all first three weeks combined? I'll give you one on both both uh, sides of the ball. I'll start defensively, which is just to tackle better, and I expect they will. Jack hit the nail on the head earlier when he said that was probably, you know, one of the biggest problems in the Florida game, but it's not one of the longest-term concerns with the team because they tackled well the first two games. Sure. And they've, 
you know, tackled well for the most part the last two years. At least, at least it hasn't been nearly as bad as it was in the Florida game. But I think you want to see that bounce back. Uh, and then offensively, I think what I could see to gain some some confidence in Tennessee is just to be more efficient and to avoid the lull, the multiple drive lull. They've had it in all three games, and all three games it's come in the first half and largely some in the first quarter, largely the second quarter, um, where they just go three and out, can't get the ball past midfield, uh, or really can't move it. I mean, it's been, I think, four possessions last week. Austin P. I mean, heck, they scored three points to the last drive at a half, so it was just about the whole first half, um, even though they moved the ball some. And then Virginia, obviously, they had, a th- what, a three or four serious stretch where they, I think, one time passed midfield. So I want to see Tennessee avoid those lulls offensively where they have they go three or four stretches without scoring, but even greater than that, they go three or four stretches where they can't move the ball and, and they put their defense in a really inopportune situation. Yeah, and, and to even follow up on that, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, a broken record or anything, but we, we we've known that that is a that that's a concerning point for Tennessee's offense. Just a, when you go out there on the field, I mean, you even think about last week's game. Florida comes out, they string together a seven and a half minute drive where they march down the field. Now, Tennessee did get fortunate, and I was maybe it was a blocked kick, maybe it was tip, maybe it was something like that. But that field goal does not go through, right? Tennessee comes out of it unscathed, zero points from the Gators. Then Tennessee marches down the field in about two minutes of their own. They score that touchdown. But that was a long drive leading up to it, right? Tennessee's offense, I think, Ryan, to your point, really needs to extend together a couple of drives, right? Avoid those lulls and avoid those big stretches where you're right. The defense comes off the field, they get a couple of notes, and then they're immediately having to think about going right back onto the field because Tennessee's offense went went three and out real quick. Now, again, I know that's been a point said before. I don't want to sound like a broken the record. The of the hypo offense, right? But it's yep. so true, and we're especially seeing it right now. Here, real quick, here's what Tim Banks had to say about tackling, Ryan, to your point a second ago. Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, we continue to, you know, try to eliminate, you know, obviously what kind of missed tackles are you missing? Is it not wrapping up? You know, is it not bringing your feet? You know, because we're going to practice tackling whether we, you know, tackled at a 100% clip or obviously the night like we had Saturday night, we're going to always try to emphasize tackling. But what kind of tackles showed up? You know, we obviously had some open field missed tackles that uh, we need to be get addressed. So we try to put them in those game-like situations best we can. Obviously, we're not taking guys to the ground, but as far as our footwork goes, um, our, our pad level, you know, where our eyes are, you know, we try to make sure we're emphasizing those particular tackles. And here's what Josh Heupel had to say about Tennessee's offensive efficiency to go back to the other thing that you were talking about a second ago. Well, I do think uh, you can't let one play affect another. Um, that certainly happened. Um, during the course of the, the first half in particular, uh, the communication things just like, it can't transpire that way. And, you know, that's us coaches being better. It's players being better. It's better up front. And um, at the end of the day, we got to find a solution to it. And, um, you know, I, I told the players this today, too. It's it's not the big things. And, and those are big things, don't get me wrong. But it's the subtle details in, in everything that we're doing and, you know, Everybody can't take their turn of, of being off. And we got to become a unit that, that plays 11 together all of the time, defensively too, in particular in the first half. But um, we're fully capable. We need to take a step forward quickly. Jack, what about you? What do you think of this game? What's, what's kind of on your mind when you think about these two teams matching up this Saturday? Yeah, so UTSA did a really good job of stopping the run in the first two games, and then they got gashed by Army. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely gashed. 200-yard rushers for Army in that game. I don't know why. Uh, all of a sudden, they 
you know, were poor against the run. But that's something I'm keeping an eye on. Does UTSA bounce back in that area? And maybe do we see Joe Milton take some more shots? And that's what I want to see. I want to see more deep shots. I want to see more trust in Joe Milton because what's been happening the last two weeks just isn't working. So I want to see them take a little more chances. I think they have the opportunity to do that this week against UTSA. And this is the last week they'll have the opportunity to try and fix things and take some chances for a while because the competition's going to ramp up, obviously, SEC play. So those are things I'm looking for. And then I just want to see, and I don't know if he's going to play. I mean, I know he was, you know, suited up last week, but he didn't play Cooper Mays. I want to see, you know, John Campbell, Ollie Lane, Cooper Mays, Spragans, and Mincy on the offensive line for a good chunk of time. We have not seen that. I want to see that. I want to see how that works. Yeah, it's to try not to be too mean or anything. It's it's enough of Jeremiah Crawford getting yeah. extended reps at right tackle. Now they've been forced to do this, but it's enough of Andrej Carrick getting extended reps at left guard. Yeah. You know, both those guys have not been effective in all three games this season. Now the Mincy thing becomes interesting. Obviously, he didn't play on offense last weekend. Um, you know, Heupel didn't have. Didn't have anything to say. <laughs> I was going to say he didn't have much to say. He didn't have anything to say about it uh, on Monday. Uh, more than maybe five words repeated three different times. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. It's Tennessee has talked so much, and, you know, they've done it some, of rotating offense alignment. And, you know, they're philosophically, I don't know if opposed is the right word, but they're not philosophically locked into the thought you got to find your five offense alignment and play them. Like, that's how... Yeah. Growing up, watching football, listening to football coaches talk, that's always what I've heard them say. Obviously, Tennessee did it last year, not to say that it can't work. They rotated left tackles last year. They were good on the offensive line last year. So, But when you've seen a struggling level of play from multiple guys, it just feels like they need to find their best five and try to iron that out. Again, uh, I'm probably making that sound a lot easier said than done, given the fact that they're best or second best offense alignment in Cooper Mays has not been available and that's kind of caused them to have to shuffle so many things uh, in the at the left guard in, in center so uh, I think that'll be interesting to see and you're right it, it again feels like it would be good to before they've had their first big test at Florida before they get into the heart of the SEC schedule to have some sort of continuity or, or some sort of at least snaps uh, with your yeah. best offensive line played together gentlemen I have a, a few uh, questions for you guys when it comes to the game coming up this weekend, how about this? First and foremost, does Dylan Sampson get a more extended role after not seeing the field last week? I'd imagine we're probably all on the same page on this. He one. has to. Yes. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't. How about Dante Thornton? This is a guy who, obviously, we talked about a couple minutes ago, right? This is the guy that Joey Halsey said, hey, look, we do have a lot of belief in this guy. And let's not make any mistake about it. He has freaky talent. Mm-hmm. I go back to that Florida game. There was some point in the third quarter, the second half, or at some point, Tennessee went on a deep route to Thornton. It was kind of a seam down the middle. Hey, credit to him. Florida defensive back made a great play to break it up. Yeah, it was pass interference. But <laughs> Okay, well, okay, I hadn't gone back and watched it. Very clear pass interference. But well, from my yeah. angle of, on the very first watch, I thought it was just a nice bang-bang play, but there you go. Either way, second play, back-to-back, they go right back yeah. down the field. They go right back to him. Yep. They do. They are able to complete at that time. So you could tell that, man, they were trying to work the ball to him a little bit more. There wasn't necessarily anything wrong in the last couple weeks, but do they find a little bit more rhythm, or do you think that continues to extend a little bit out into the season? Obviously hard to tell, but what do you think? 
It's hard to say that he gets just significantly more snaps, but I think you should draw more plays up for Dante Thornton like that and see what happens. Yeah, it's just a hard situation because I think Squirrel's been arguably their best receiver to to date. I mean, there hasn't been a huge separation on any of those guys. He's been the most dependable, I feel like. I Yes, I would agree with that. And, you know, it. we talked about it all offseason. It was a big talking point, at least for me, in fall camp of, how comfortable do they feel in playing Dante Thornton out wide so they can play him and Squirrel White on the field at the same time and truly have a rotation of these four receivers that sees them all play similar number of snaps. Well, we haven't seen Dante Thornton take a single snap out wide, which really limits how you use him and Squirrel White because they're two guys playing the same position in Tennessee really has never, you know, played four receivers with Josh Heupel, at, you know, on the field at the same time, I should say, without taking the tight end off the field. So, you know, I don't know. Thornton certainly, I think, flashed. He got open on that play that was pass interference. He had another good catch. Uh, the, you know, the one you were just the next play that you were talking about on a big third down. Clearly, he is very talented, but it just doesn't seem right now that, you know, he's, I don't know if struggling is the right word, but there's a learning curve just for him to grasp the offense from the slot position, which seems to indicate that he's not going to be playing out wide any. Uh, and to me, that just kind of limits maybe not what you can do, with Dante Thornton, to Jack's point, maybe you can still take shots with him when he's in the game and try to get him more involved when he's in the game, but it, it limits the number of snaps for either Squirrel White, who at this point looks like your best receiver, or Thornton, who, as Joey Halsley said, as you said, Rick, is has freaky talent, has freaky skill set. If this trend continues and he's just uh, you know, a very specific type of player for Tennessee where he only comes in in certain scenarios, I wonder what his routes per target is going to be at the end of the season because it might be in between that two to three, one and two, maybe even that. So that'll be a fast. I don't, you know, I don't, that'd be a difficult stat to calculate, but it is funny to watch and curious to see how much they're going to use him when he's on the field. I'm going to make a bold prediction right here, right now. <laughs> so dramatic with the I know. fade away from the mic. Let's hear it. I think Jalen Wright gets his first touchdown of the year this weekend. <laughs> I really think that happens. No way. I think it happens. I, I know. I'm going out on a this limb. Guy, this guy's crazy over here. <laughs> I'm talking about things that probably could never happen if you didn't have this certain circumstance coming up this certain Saturday. That being said, I think Jalen Wright's going to get his first touchdown of the season this weekend. Mark it down. Well, Take it well, to the bank. First Horizon, Bank of America, <laughs> Chase, City, Regents. City, Regions, Fifth Third, Fifth Third, First Tennessee. Yeah, uh, First Tennessee is First Horizon. First Horizon name. again. Did you say commercial? Commercial, Chime. I've never even heard of these. Venmo, take it to the <laughs> bank. Jalen Wright, touchdown score. Well, while this isn't, you know, Jack and I are making fun of you because it's Tennessee's best offensive player getting a touchdown, it's your bold prediction. Like, that does bring up the point of why he hasn't scored a touchdown. And I think Thank you. That's what it I does doing. bring, uh, it would be a good sign if Jalen Wright gets a touchdown because Jay, my assessment for why Jalen Wright hasn't gotten a touchdown is every drive that Jalen Wright is in the game and Tennessee scores a touchdown, Jalen Wright is doing all the work to get them to the 10-yard line. So at that point, he is tired <laughs> yes. and he is a breather. Yeah. So that would... You know, not necessarily Jalen Wright could break one. Jalen Wright could just stay in the game. Uh, but, you know, that would maybe indicate Tennessee using its vertical passing game to get right. down the field and Jalen Wright to still be fresh. So, yeah, that would be that would be a good sign. I, 
I think if he scores, it has to be outside of the 10-yard line. You don't think he'll get a, a carry inside the 10? I just think Small's their guy. I don't know. Well, they used Dylan Sampson that role the first game. Fair. Yeah, or they Samson. Did, they passed it to Even him, better. Too, to Even Samson. More. But I, I, I do think that, like Ryan was talking about, I, I do think that this is a chance they might get him a, a, a touchdown score. I think there will be opportunities. And I think that, again, this is going to be a game where Tennessee's going to need to score points, right? <laughs> we've said that before and we've said that in the past. But we do believe that this is a good offense coming into Neal Stadium coming up this weekend. And you would like to see more points on the board. I, I, I think that would just do a lot to calm everybody's nervous about this whole thing, right? You, you see yeah. your quarterback score 16 points in the swamp. You see only one touchdown scored. And you say, hey, look, this is giving us anxiety, right? We feel like we've been down this road before. We don't want to go back down this road. We don't want to go back to boring football. If we're going to lose, we want to lose and we want to score a lot of points. I'm not saying that you're going to lose and you're going to score a lot of points or anything like that, but I, I do think that just getting back to an offense that is able to score more than 24, more than 26, something like that, if you can do that, if you can get back to something like that, I think that calms a lot of nerves. I think that maybe gives the offense a little bit more confidence moving forward, but I do think that that is an important bounce, an important bounce back factor is just to get points on the board, to give a little bit of confidence to the guys on the field. Yeah, and I think... Still, that it's as bad as Tennessee's defense was last week, and make no bones about it, it was bad. The concerns are more about the offense. Like I look at the concerns in the defense, and as I've already said, I don't expect the tackling to be that bad. Tennessee's run fits were so just horrific in that game. Uh, it was probably maybe the worst I've seen since the Georgia State game, when Tennessee's defense line was just constantly lining up in the wrong spots, and that hasn't been an issue for Tennessee under Tim Banks. So again, you kind of expect that to get fixed. And while there are still limitations in the secondary question marks with the pass rush you know just how much better it is it feels like Tennessee's defense the path to being much better than they were against Florida is easy to see yes I agree than it is for the offense and the offense the question marks are more long-term and foundational so yeah I think that's even though UTSA's defense isn't fantastic by any means, that's if you're going to see one of those things, I think you'd almost rather see the offense. There's no question at all eyes are on the offense. I totally agree. I mean, that is what everyone's going to be watching for to see improvement. And, you know, we get so caught up in the Florida game. Like, we're talking about how bad the defense was, how bad the offensive line was. Those are two areas that weren't necessarily bad in the first two weeks yeah. of the season. So we're just taking last week. And, of course, that's by far and away Tennessee's biggest game of the season as far as relevance goes so far. But you just got to take a step back, man. The next month, they're in Knoxville. Three home games and a bye. Go 3-0, and and then you're going to Alabama with a one-loss versus a one-loss team, maybe even two-loss team. They lose to Ole Miss. So you just got to yeah. take a step back, to, take a deep breath. It's not the end of the world. You lost in a tough place to play against your bitter rival that you haven't beaten 20 years in Gainesville. So it's not the end of the world. But with all that being said, against UTSA this weekend, you want to see the offense bounce back. You want to see Tennessee dominate this game and win by three scores. This is a game they should dominate, especially if Frank Harris, their best player, is out. So that's what you want to see from Tennessee. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and it brings me to, to two thoughts. One of them you, we've heard probably Josh Heupel say it every year, but he said it this year talking about, you know, you got you have to get better when the season starts. You can't stay the same. And... Again, I think that's true every year. That's a very obvious point, but I think it's made even more obvious this year by just the fact that no one in the SEC has looked great this first month of the season. It's going to be about who can continue to get better and make real improvements, and 
you know, frankly, to your point, Jack, let's go back and look at the last two years. Two years ago, Tennessee, obviously, they had the quarterback transition, but didn't look great early in the year. And then it was right around this time, late September, early October, where their offense started to find its rhythm in the South Carolina and the Missouri game. And then last year, even, obviously, Tennessee didn't lose any games early. And in that Florida game, the offense was really good. But again, it, it there were big Tennessee got a lot better from the Pittsburgh game to the LSU yes. game last season. Sure. Pittsburgh was their worst game outside of South Carolina. Well, yeah, or Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. But as far as just, yeah, you're right. But yeah, they weren't good at Pitt. No, they were not good at Pitt, <laughs> uh, especially when you look at how bad Pitt ended up being that season and the fact that they were playing their backup quarterback for the second half of that game. So <laughs> yeah. there are still re- plenty of reasons to think Tennessee can get um, get the rails back on the track and have a respectable season. You know, it's really, really hard to see a path to them winning the SEC East and achieving that goal. But even that, you know, it's not completely out of play yet. So uh, I do think, to Jack's point, you brought it up next three home games. To me, this really just really feels like Tennessee needs to win against, you know, obviously this week against UTSA. They're three touchdown favorites. They should. They need to probably more than win, figure out some things about themselves, figure out some things that work, get better, show signs of improvement, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And then. I think you have you know almost a, a firewall game when South Carolina comes comes to Knoxville next weekend, a revenge game for Tennessee, a night game, a game that if Tennessee wins, it's like all of a sudden you're going into the bye week. You have your season. While it's not where you want to be, you have your season back on, on the rails, and, and you have a chance to prepare for Texas A&M at home with two weeks. We've talked about in the offseason, Josh Heupel's been really good in his career coming off byes. Uh, it, it just feels like that South Carolina game is absolutely massive and it's massive for both teams too because obviously South Carolina already with two losses and I believe they have an SEC game this weekend too if I'm not maybe Mississippi State uh, even yes yes you're correct so again you I think they're at home against Mississippi State you yeah, just win. expect them to win but that's not a, a layup by any means either so I, I see that one being in two weeks as being a huge game for both teams but particularly yeah. where it falls on Tennessee's schedule it feels like it's it's going to change, and we can talk more about it next week, but it's just going to completely change the tone of the rest of the season, whether Tennessee wins or loses against South Carolina. No doubt about it. But before that, got to win the game coming up this Saturday if you want to give yourself a position to succeed. That game is going to be at 4 o'clock p.m. on the SEC Network. Again, that is going to be this Saturday in Knoxville, Tennessee, in Neyland Stadium. Weather looks to be good, just about 80 degrees around game time. Tennessee, a 21-point favorite. Uh, and a 59 uh, point over under right there on the dot, according to Caesar Sportsbook. We have all those numbers online over at RocketTopInsider.com. You can go and check out RocketTopInsider.com for all of the best Tennessee news notes and coverage that we can get you. We're covering everything football right now. But, of course, if anything basketball and baseball pops up, we have that on our radar as well. If you want to follow Ryan on Twitter, you can do that at rshump00. If you want to follow Jack, you can do that at Jack Foster Media. And if you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. That's just R-I-C along the way. But otherwise, make sure you're checking out Rocky Top Insider on each and every different each and every different social media platform that is at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Wherever you are, we are there as well, and we are getting you the best Tennessee news, notes, and coverage that we can. But otherwise, we will see you back for a post-game recap after the UTSA game coming up this weekend. That's going to be a little bit of a late-night one, but certainly we will have it by the time that you go to bed, by the time that you wake up on Sunday morning, we will have you some instant reaction coming out of the Tennessee-UTSA game. But other than that, 
Gentlemen, it is time to roll out of here. Actually, we got a Josh Heupel press conference. We got to get across campus to get to. So once you're hearing this, go ahead and check out the Josh Heupel Thursday press conference on YouTube as well. Otherwise, hey man, we're excited to see you back this weekend. Thank you so much for listening. Gentlemen, thank you for Jack, for Ryan. I'm Rick. We will see you back for the next one. This has been the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast.